Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy coming to you from the Emory and Henry College campus, WEHC 90.7. And as I like to say on this program, we're all poets in our hearts and we write poems every day, but often we're afraid to share them. So send me a few lines to McCarthyHenry at Yahoo.com and we'll consider putting them on. We're very thrilled today to have guest poet Naomi Nye. Naomi Nye is famous. Actually, Naomi Nye is world famous. She's out of San Antonio, Texas, and she's on her campus for a couple of days doing workshops and leading us in writing poems from the heart. So we're going to come back to Naomi Nye today, and trust me, you're in for a treat. She's won a number of national and international awards and is down to earth as you can get. So she has asked me, she's a fan of Dale Carter Jett, uh, of the Carter family, Dale Jett. So we're going to go with... Will you miss me when I'm on? As our custom on this program is, we play a few songs and then we interview the poet writer. So we're going with Dale Jett first and then back to Naomi Nye. shall close these eyelids and this heart shall cease to be and they lay me down to rest in some flowery Will you miss me? 
And perhaps you'll plant a flower On my poor unworthy grave Come and sit along beside me Now, thank you for listening to Dale Jett, and we're back with Naomi Nye. One of my favorite books is Honeybee, but she has so many books of poetry, and she's done so many things in the poetry world. So, Naomi Nye, our first question, as we like to ask here in the local area, is, Naomi, where are you from? Thank you, Henry, for having me on your show. I'm very excited to be here. I live in San Antonio, Texas, with my husband and son, and I have traveled a lot. I did not grow up in San Antonio. I was born in St. Louis and also lived in Jerusalem, which was my father's home city. And in the meantime, I have traveled all over the place, all over the United States, every state except for two. I once spent a fantastic month in Richmond, Virginia, and I felt that uh, once you've stayed that long in Virginia, you become a bit of an honorary Virginian, so it's very nice to be back in this state. And uh, well, so you, I guess I'm from here and there. The, here and there. You you yeah. know, you describe yourself as a wandering poet, and I love that. Folks out there listening today, Naomi Nye is a wandering poet, and I know that you were born in St. Louis, but your father, talk a little bit about your cross-culture, because I think that your mother, she was uh, she was. German Lutheran, right? That's yeah. right. She was from the Midwest, born in Illinois, spent all of her childhood in St. Louis. And then my father had been raised in Jerusalem with a very traditional uh, Palestinian Muslim family. Uh, he was very attracted to words from an early age. He was the best English student in his school and uh, was able to get a job reading You'd like this, the radio news wow. uh, for the BBC <laughs> radio wow. when he was, he used to tell us he started reading the evening news at 13 and we would say, wow, they must have been hard up to hire a 13-year-old to read the evening news. But I later saw photographs of him that someone else had when he was about 17 and 18 reading evening news in English for the BBC. He always knew from his boyhood that he wanted to travel in his own life. And he was really the only one of his brothers who had that desire at that time. Uh, and his mother did not want to travel at all. So you grew up exposed to, at the beginning, exposed to at least two cultures. 
And That's that, right. That gave you a special insight. And I want to ask you, when did you first become interested in poetry? Well, actually, Henry, I was interested in poetry. I think I fit in with your quote about all of us having poetry in our hearts because I was interested before I could read for myself. And I knew when my mother read poems to me, that they were uh, a magical and transporting kind of language. You know, to hear four or six or eight lines from Emily Dickinson or Carl Sandburg, Langston Hughes, mm. uh, some of the poets I was attracted to as a child, uh, and be immediately carried away was a very, uh, very special kind of language to me. It, it, it appealed to me more than even daily conversation language. And so by the time I learned how to write, when I was in my a pitiful first grade classroom uh I wanted to write poems you know we weren't really being led to write poems yet but I wanted to write them on my own and by the time I was in second grade age 7 I was lucky enough to have a beautiful elderly teacher who adored poetry and encouraged her students to memorize it read widely write our own poems and then I started sending my poems to magazines at that time well, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit, and I always like to ask, do you remember the first poem you ever wrote? I do. I can say it. It's oh, four great. lines. It's called Chicago, and at that time, that was the one other big city I'd been to besides St. Louis. I really think Chicago is great. So many things to see. The buildings seem extremely tall compared to little me. I love that. And you were, how old do you remember? Six. Six. Well, I, I think I wrote one in the second grade. and it was. Can, can you say it? I think it was fly, fly, butterfly up in the sky so high. But then I stopped, and I'm not sure my teacher liked it, so it kind of shut me down for a little while, but it was pretty hard to shut me up after well, that. Well, you know, that's... Going. That's very interesting what you say because my first grade teacher didn't like me at all. And so I took my little Chicago poem to her as a kind of peace offering, hoping that she might see that I had, you know, a tiny bit of promise in the margins. So she let me post it in the hallway. And later on, a few weeks later, an older girl, third grader, I always imagined, came up to me and said, I went to Chicago, too, and I know what you mean. And that was a very electric moment for a tiny child that someone older than myself knew what I meant. Well, I know that you've done a great deal to promote poetry in the schools and worked in it, and I know that you have at least one or two books of children's poems that I was reading last night, and I loved them. And and one reason I like it, I was a judge here, uh, well, I probably should remain anonymous, but I was a judge for a poetry contest here at the high school and middle school, and they tell me, they say, oh, we probably won't get but about three poems. Well, Naomi, guess what? We got 75. So I bet you had a good time. I, I loved reading them, and so I loved reading your book of poems that were submitted to you from um, young young people. Now, I've asked you your first poem, and tell us a little bit about your books and the themes. One of my favorite books, and I, and I know everybody, but I love Honeybee. Now, I've read your other books, but Thank that's you. my favorite, and I know it's not as famous, but as, as the one that was, what, runner-up for the National it Book It was Award? a finalist for the National Book yeah. Award, my book, 19 Varieties of Gazelle. Well, well you're so one. sweet to say that about Honeybee, and I feel very attached to uh, honeybees in general, for anyone who likes them around in this part of Virginia, but... Uh, but I like the sort of the theme of that book about um, pollination and uh, creativity and planting and growing and kind of learning from our mistakes a long time later and 
possibilities of connection and you know interpollination, cross pollination. So thanks for mentioning it. That means a lot. Well, to and me. I'll also yeah. mention you know we have a writer who's well known here, and that's Barbara King Solver, and she wow. lives down the road. Is you know? she ever? Well, and I didn't know she lived down the road till <laughs> last night. And I almost fainted. <laughs> Um, because she is such a great writer, and in fact, I was with one of my best friends last week. We were on a, I was visiting her daughter's school, a boarding school in um, Massachusetts, and my friend was obsessed with Barbara Kingshalver's newest book, mm-hmm. and she was even reading it like during bites of cereal at breakfast. I mean, that's how much people love Barbara Kingshalver's work, and we were talking about it. Little did I know I would be near her place or. Well, you know, she has places. a master's degree in biology. So when I thought well, of honeybees, it's honeybee. Right. And when I read your intro to it about your attachment to nature and the honeybees right. and all that, I thought of Barbara King Solver. So, you know, talk a little bit more about your books and then read us a few poems, if you would, please. Well, thank you so much. Uh, my books have always come out of, uh, I would say, to, to students' daily life, uh, immediate experience. Not that everything in my books is nonfiction. I'm very attracted to fiction. Right now I'm working on a book of short, short stories that I like to think is entirely fiction with just some facts thrown in. Uh, but the world always seemed so rich to me ar- around us. The, the the time of every day filled with more elemental things than we could possibly focus on or contemplate. So I think sometimes poems just like to pick up uh, overlooked details, things in the margin. So here's a little tiny Great. few sentences that uh, relate back to first grade, and I think you'd have to be around my age to remember these books <laughs> that we had to read at that time of our lives. Please describe how you became a writer. Possibly I began writing as a refuge from our insulting first grade textbook. Come, Jane, Come. Look, Dick, look. Were there ever duller people in the world? You had to tell them to look at things? Why weren't they looking to begin with? Oh, that's very beautiful. I remember being just troubled by, you know, those, those books didn't seem to, to take us very far uh, with imagination. They just seemed to kind of dilly-dally around like in dull stuff and never go well, you know, any deeper. Naomi, if I might ask, sometimes, and having been a high school English teacher and worked a great deal in the public school, so I'm a great, I admire public school teachers. I sincerely do. Well, so do I. I love them. But, but I want to say that sometimes I think my own belief is we get so wrapped up in the expert idea. Right. And we're trying to be like such and such a poet that we're afraid to write from our heart. So go for it. You I, I feel the same way, and I think that poetry is one of those wonderful uh, experiences that you can, you can sneak it into a classroom. You don't have to be an expert and you know be dominating your curriculum with poetry in order to have the presence of poetry there around you. You could just put little poems or lines from poems on the board every day. Uh, any teacher could do that, just lines that she or he likes. And that would be, you know, kind of infusing the atmosphere with, with more poetry. Well, I just hear some more poems. Okay, this is called Eye Test. And I wrote it after taking our son when he was little to, to get his first eye, official eye exam. And he did not understand that chart. He thought it was like a code that you were supposed to crack the code. Right, okay. right. Eye Test. The D is desperate. The B wants to take a vacation, live on a billboard, be broad, brave. The E is mad at the R for upstaging him. The little C wants to be a big C, if possible. 
and the P pauses long between thoughts. How much better to be a story, story. Can you read me? We have to live on this white board together like a neighborhood. We would rather be the tail of a cloud, one letter becoming another, or lost in a boy's pocket, shapeless as lint, the same boy who squints to read us, believing we convey a secret message. Be his friend. We are so tired of meaning nothing. Uh, that's a beautiful poem. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi Nye. In station break here, this is Henry McCarthy of Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7 at Emory and Henry College. And I also want to thank my friend Richard Graves here. He's our producer and does a fine job. Now let's go back to Naomi Nye. And Naomi Nye, you tell some stories in your books. They're like little short stories. And I was enjoying reading them so much. And the one that I was reading was about when you were in Nova Scotia and you were young and you were getting ready to do some poetry in the schools, and you were in a phone booth. Could you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> it's so funny you would have noticed that. Thank you for bringing it up. Well, really, that little piece is a, a little homage to Kenneth Koch, who was quite a, a marvelous poet himself and a teacher of poetry to kids in New York City public schools back in the 60s and 70s in a time when... Um, I guess he felt that many classrooms had become too academic with poetry, and he was trying to spring open the imaginations of large groups of children and encourage them to be a little wild, be a little uh, random and unexpected in So in you were writing. up in Nova Scotia yeah. though, in oh, a phone booth. Yeah, I'm in a phone right. booth, and <clears throat> I'm trying to find a place to stay. And all. The and you were, this was in the 70s? or the, Right, or? it was uh, very, the <clears throat> very end of my college life, so... I was about 22 years old, and, and it, for some reason, everything in that far-flung town of Halifax was full. I couldn't find a place to stay. Not even the youth hostel was had a room. So I was calling everywhere I could to see if there was a place to stay, and it was pouring rain and cold outside. And a kind man, his wife was in the car. They'd just been to a grocery store, knocked on the door of a phone booth and said, I've noticed that you've been in there for a long time. Could I help you with anything? Are you okay? And I said, well, I, I can't find any place to stay. Do you know of a of an inn? And he said, well, why don't you come over to our house? Uh, we have a guest room. And, and so, you know, this was I was not suspicious of them. They seemed like right. perfectly reasonable yeah. strangers and very yeah. sweet to me. So I went to their house, spent the night, and they gave me a Kenneth Koch book that turned out to be like my Bible of work with children in classrooms for years to come. And it was the most astonishing thing because I never got their address. I didn't know how to write them a letter to thank them. I had no idea that that book they had handed me saying, well, you, you know, if you're a young poet, you might like this book. Someone gave it to us and... So had you not been stranded in that phone booth? That's right. I might you, not have found my hero, found Kenneth Koch, of those days. I'll tell you, the reason that caught my eye, if I might indulge myself, my grandmother was from Nova Scotia. Really? Mary Gamble. And so I have not been. I got up to the coast of Maine and almost got over there this summer, but uh, they weren't running the ferry, so mm. they closed it down because of a storm. So we didn't make it, but that uh, I'm glad to know that those p people up there were, were nice to you. People are very friendly in Nova Scotia. I recommend it. Well, now... You've been reading some of your poems for us, but uh, again, another story that I really liked, and this was the story of the pal woman from Palestine, and she was at the airport, 
And they ask you, they ask for someone who speaks Arab. Is that correct? Is that the way you say well, it? Well, um, Arabic, and Arabic, I am I not, I'm not fluent in Arabic at all. I am embarrassed, too, because my father was so beautifully fluent in two languages. And um, I just, I can understand some conversational Arabic, and I can often hear two people talking and tell you what they're talking about. But when they announced in the Albuquerque airport that they needed someone who could understand Arabic I thought well maybe I can help him out a bit so I went over there and it turned out I, I met a lady who was quite upset and became a very close friend for a few hours and I love the description of it because what you did Naomi and you invite people to participate in life and I love that very much because it sounded to me like you turned it into a little bit of a party and everybody was sharing cookies and so that's forth. right we were we we did have a party and it was a pleasant airport experience and I, when I wrote about it uh, I had no idea that it would become a piece that would travel far on the internet by itself. I mean, it's traveled so far that some people have rewritten it on their own, given it new titles. I called it Gate A4 because that was our gate. And uh, it's it's amazing thing, Henry, how how many people have commented to me on their desire for a world in which we're less suspicious of one another. Exactly. And I that's why, Naomi, that I love your poems. I think they speak to the heart. Do you have ideas? Don't want to let you out of here without hearing a few more poems from you. Well, here's, you have- a, here's a tiny little poem called Fresh, and I think this is a feeling that any of us get, whether we're kids or adults, when we write, when we spend a little quiet time with language, or when we read poems, we might feel this way. Fresh, to move cleanly, needing to be nowhere else, wanting nothing from any store, to lift something you already had and set it down in a new place, awakened eye, seeing freshly. What does that do to the old blood moving through its channels? Well, that goes, uh, again, that goes to the human soul. You know, I know that you have spent, now, did you go to Palestine when you were a teenager? That's right. Because you have done a, a great deal to promote understanding around the world. So well, to, uh, anyone who cares about the region, uh definitely votes for peace. Uh, Sometimes I think it's only uh, strangely uh, misaligned politicians that can keep, uh, you know, keep people in turmoil for so many years. I I strongly believe in uh, what teachers believe, what doctors, what kids, what parents believe, you know, that we can find some way to live together. Most of us by now have been able to live in peace in our own communities with people who aren't exactly like us. And I think that, you know, Israel and Palestine, they're just going to have to share better. And, you know, people are, have been in pain for generations now in that region. And it's very difficult uh for people in the United States sometimes to imagine the kind of pain that Palestinian people have lived with. Um, Many people are more conscious these days of the pain that Jewish people lived with. There are all kinds of Holocaust studies, you know, classes. Uh, But I have felt a need to remind people that the Palestinian people also suffered tremendously. And, uh, you know, their fury and their anger and their, their anguish did not come out of nowhere. My father was a refugee, lost his home, uh, lived some very bitter experiences as a young man, and we've got to figure out a way to encourage others to uh, mend their differences and take down that ugly wall and ship it to New Orleans where it could be used as a new levy. Could, wouldn't it be great if we could substitute uh, 
books and ideas for bombs. Don't you think oh, that, that is one of my dream, dream, dreams. Well, I'm going to, and again, you know, I'm intrigued that you've lived in San Antonio because I've spent a lot of time in Mexico. So as you are very well aware, there's a large Mexican influence in San Antonio. Definitely. I think our population now is 63% Mexican-American. Right. Where have you been in Mexico? Well, I've been to Puebla and done workshops there, Guadalajara, Mexico City, and a number of different places. It's a marvelous country, and I really hope the um, the drug problems there get resolved right. so people can travel there more calmly again. Well, well, my wife and I have taught, if I might again indulge myself, and that is in Puebla. This is the first summer we haven't been there, and we've taught Mexican students uh, teachers uh, each summer and I'll tell you the romantic aspect of teaching them and their poet and poetry and their acting and so on as you know is just is just fantastic I wanted to ask you as we begin to start heading home here in a little while uh, what what advice for I get a lot of poems you know I ask and I'm getting poems I get them in the mail I get them from uh, around the area from St. Paul Johnson City and people are sending me poems so what advice would you give for people getting into poetry well, I think it's great that people are sending their poems to you, and I think that's one of the important elements for, for those of us who love to write is to feel comfortable sharing our work. I would also encourage everybody to read a lot of poetry, find poets whose voices really speak to them, um, and ha hang on to those voices, explore them. I recommend everybody read uh, George Ella Lyon from Kentucky and William Stafford, one of my favorite poets who grew up first in the Midwest, and you know, share the names of some of your own favorite poets with others, and uh, just keep reading and write on a regular basis, just a little bit of time every day. You don't need to take hours every day, just seven, ten minutes will be good. Um, and then share your work with one another, and um, you will find friends. Well, I want to tell my listening audience out there that Naomi is a fan of this area and fan of the mountain or country music and the Carter family so actually I have to share this story I was gonna always like to play a little music as you know and I was gonna go with Enrique Iglesias uh, because I kind of like him and, and she kind of said well you know I really love listening to uh, Dale Jed he's got a great voice so that's why you're listening to Dale Jed rather you. than Enrique Iglesias well so, Enrique has a good voice I, too he really does and <laughs> I, I love the the his talk of his songs about love and connection so that's why I was going to do that so now as we head home I want to say to our audience first of all Thank you, Naomi Nye, for taking the time. And do you have any parting words for us? Well, thank you so much, Henry, and much power to you and your promotion of poetry and sharing in this part of beautiful Virginia. Well, and we are promoting it in the area, you know. And I was down yesterday at the public library at um, an open read, and several folks came up to me. And we also have, I want to mention to you, on the 21st, we're going to have an open mic at the public library, and all of you are invited. That's at 630, so come on down and bring your poems. And this is Henry McCarthy thanking Naomi Nye, an outstanding poet and a great, great person. And I'm saying to you out there in Radio Land, I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Do not wait up for me. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Here we go with Dale Jett. Thanks for listening, 90.7. Dixie darling, listen to the song I sing beneath the silver moon with my banjo right in tune. My 
heart is ever true I love no one but you My Dixie darling My Dixie queen Mason-Dixon line, there's where the honeysuckles are entwined, there's where the southern wind is blowing, there's where the daisies growing. Girls up north in the gay finery, whirling around in the society, singing songs of my Dixie darling, where I long to be. My Dixie darling, listen to the song I sing beneath the silver moon. With my banjo riding tune, heart is ever true. I love no one but you, my Dixie darling, my Dixie queen. Time. See my girl down in old Caroline Drink my booze and do as I please All the girls that long to squeeze Singing songs of my Dixie darling There's where I long to be going Down where the jelly rolls rolling With my Dixie queen My Dixie darling Listen to the song I sing Beneath the silver moon With my banjo riding tune, my heart is ever true. I love no one but you, my Dixie darling, my Dixie queen. My Dixie darling, my Dixie queen. 